Well, <laughs> yes, we are live. Well, welcome back. Thank you, Dave. It's actually lovely to see you. Welcome, uh, everyone, hopefully, who's joining us very shortly. I can see them all piling in right now. Yeah, um, piling in the door. Yeah, yeah. It's been, um, I'm not feeling bad here now because the weather in Torbay is actually slightly inclement, you might say. So um, I haven't, you know, so I've actually got jeans on today. Normally, I'm just sitting in my underpants, mate, but uh, <laughs> not quite. No, I, not I, I thought I'd wear a collar because we've got a guest. I shouldn't have done it. I should have spoke to you first. <laughs> I'm trying to be young and trendy, you see. That's, oh. See, contrasting colours and stuff. Um, and I realised I've just, when when I looked at a couple of videos recently, just to to check sound on each one and whatever, I, I realised that I was just wearing blue t-shirts all the time. So my a whole array of wardrobe I, was blue, know, blue, 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 blue. I know a guy who has the same shirt. He has about four of the same. He has the same pair of jeans, about the four of the same pair, and three pairs of the same shoes. And that's what his wardrobe looks like. I take my hat off to him. I couldn't do that. <laughs> well, we just broke 111 people we got in the room as well. Welcome, 111, 114 people. Lovely to see 115 people. Um, welcome to my jumble cell behind here. I have been, um, basically, my family are fed up with me already, having been a former police officer. They wish I was still a police officer because I am not polluting their house, getting in the way of all their everyday tasks. So, so I've been shoved in here. I'm going to have to... Um, we're just going to have to get a better background here, mate. Um, one of those uh, blue screens, or I could have said this was just a rubbish blue screen. Yeah, an and then you could have like surfing pictures and in the oh. background and yeah, tropical rainforests and massive aquarium. Savannah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, exactly. Very apt. So um, before we start the news, I do need to do this because, of course, otherwise people would be saying, where is he, where is he? Where is he? Uh, do you see that I've changed my name this week from Dave? To yes, mate, I do program. see that. I do see that. And you yeah. spelt it right as well. I know. It was, that was hmm. a second attempt. <laughs> that was after asking Gemma. How is Finn? Can Finn hear me or are you on if Yeah, no, no, he can hear you. Hello, Finn. Hello, darling. You all right, sweetheart? Look at him. He's been on a night-long walk, so he's going to snooze, I think. Oh. They're all snoozing. I'm surrounded by snoozing. Oh. Well, you've taught them to hide their particulars this week, because normally yeah. they are spread all over yeah. the place. Anybody, <laughs> anybody who wants to see Rory's particulars, just say, and we're going to run for that. <laughs> Rory, is, Rory is only too happy, just like his dad, to... Uh, <laughs> sorry, Dave. Uh, <clears throat> yes, at least the technology isn't letting you down this week, Linny says. Thank look, you, Linny. You're, you're absolutely Harry, correct. Harry, look, David Wilding noticed... Oh, what? Have a look. It's about uh, the third comment up from the bottom. Oh, David Welding. The strategic positioning of your book. He noticed. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that before we started. He has, yes. Good. Well done, David. He's a top man. <laughs> right. Shall I do the news? Go on, do the news. What's been happening this week? Um, yeah, go for it. It's been a pretty busy week, to be fair, and... You know, there doesn't need to be a few uh, shout outs, you know, in a, in a time when when police are having a real bashing at the moment. Um, there was a, an interview that I shared, a very short interview I shared uh, of a chap in Glasgow that um, the BBC and Sky interviewed um, who said, uh, you know, at a time when we're seeing the police being bashed and called all sorts of names and had a go at this is yet another example of true, true heroism 
and I'm not just talking about Glasgow, I'm talking about Reading as well. You know, two absolutely horrific incidents um, and lots of brave members of the public and, and people helping to give first aid, but two very brave, you know, incredibly mm. brave police officers. One who's been seriously injured, but is, uh, we're told today is in a stable condition in Glasgow. His name's David White. And I don't think we've got a name for the guy in Reading. There's a couple of conflicting um, stories, one saying that he's a sergeant and one saying that he's a young uh, officer with just 14 months service. So uh, huge, um, you know, thoughts sent to all of those and, and congratulations, mm. not congratulations, well done to everybody, everybody involved, the public and the police and the other 999 services must have been a truly horrific, both of them, truly horrific incident to deal with. Absolutely, completely, completely. And I, I know there was um, a particular shot in the Sky News of a young man there who looked quite shocked um, and was saying, look, guys, you know, all the police are getting a bashing on the media, but this is the this is what we are in the UK, you know, um, <clears throat> and really supporting what the police did, how quickly they were uh, to keep everyone safe, and obviously putting themselves at risk. So, I always said as a as a farms tactics advisor, I said, uh, you know, there's a question of whether you have units. I'm talking about any incident that is potentially dangerous. You have units that uh, I, I was obviously armed response. And they'd say, right, should we hold off before you get there? And I said, we as the police should at least put ourselves at the same danger as the public. And therefore, if firearms officers are far away with a particular job, then it's right that they should send taser. Or, because police officers can actually, at least they can shout and guide people away. Yeah. So it's really important. So it's not a question of just holding everything off. Um, it's important that you send firearms officers to jobs like that, any aggression with a knife, I would say definitely so but we don't know the details of that so we're not commenting specifically no. on any of that and um but well, it's just with general uh just the other week where um uh firearms weren't that far away but the, the risk to life was deemed that high um that i said to to the ops inspector i said i'm going in and he said you have to um mm. luckily it wasn't quite as reported when we got there but you kind of just go in and hope for the best sometimes. Um, you know, yeah. Taser, which is obviously in the headlines and fairly controversial at the moment, but anybody who's seen it or used it will know it's not controversial at all. It's a great yeah. It's not going to stop you from uh, meeting the wrong person and, and whatever else, but, you know, what, it might just save you or someone else. T taser I've seen in front of my eyes save a life. Um, I, I would have had to shoot someone if the taser hadn't been there, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I, in 2019, last year, um, uh, got a judge's commendation for baton gunning some guy who was coming with two knives. Mind you, I had pretty good incentive to baton gun him at that point. Baton gun allows 25 meter distance with someone racing towards you or somebody else with a knife. Um, however, it's always backed up with conventional firearm. I think it was just because we had body cam that everyone suddenly goes, oh, that looks horrendous when we've been yeah. doing that for years and years and years doing that similar thing. Taser, I did do a blog on Taser. It was 2016. It's very relevant now. Taser's been updated to another mark, but again, very little different. So if you want to know the, the pros and cons with Taser, um then have a look at uh wordpress harry tangy taser just search that in google and it should come up i call it a tool of the pacifist um mm -hmm. because it's undoubtedly saves lives um 
And if you've got a heart condition, I'd suggest you just don't go fighting. Pills. You know, it doesn't matter what we're using. I think some forces in America are trialing something that wraps you up as you run towards the officers or you, you're being a threat. You know, and if it gets you in the wrong place, you're going to fall over and hit your head. If you're uh, if you're being violent or, or you're involved in a situation or you're remonstrating with the police or you're trying to get away or whatever, then mm. we can't throw cotton wool and bubble wrap at you. We don't have such a thing at the moment. So we've got to get hold of you somehow or or, or everyone just gets away with committing crime or being suspected of committing. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, and have a look on my Twitter page, one of the latest one. There's an anonymous officer who's just retired from Devon and Cornwall Police has done a brilliant article um, explaining uh, the issues with policing. And this is why we're saying it's, it's one-sided information. Bang, 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 bang. All the corrupt, uh, all the... the um the the police are, are sort of well there's not a very good thread coming through and this is a really good article um that he's put in it is a retired officer from Denver Cornwall recently it wasn't me okay um this one here just very quickly before we introduce our very special guest um is uh, do you think the use of water cannons would be the right thing i've had no experience on them but remember our streets are very narrow and you have to refill these things because they use a hell of a lot of water very quickly i personally don't think they are the right thing because by the time they're in place everyone's run around the corner to somewhere else and it would just be another thing to bash the police about because they're being rough to very uh, violent people yeah. um but there we go so i personally don't think it's certainly not the answer to everything that's for sure no uh, we can go on all day we can um, we will maybe wait we'll till we'll, we'll, if there's any yeah. police uh, out there I, I'm, this is tongue in cheek there aren't many more police uh, forces that with a reputation in as well the military police and i know our next guest isn't military police and i'm sure She's never had to be dealt with by the military, yeah. but they do come with their own reputation. I don't know, she's got a glint to an eye. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she's got, what, what's the big, the big basis for um, for training for that sort of thing? I'm sure she'll tell us. I'm yeah, sure she, she will. It gets a bit rowdy at the weekend down there and the MP are around. <laughs> at the moment, she's just drinking all our red, red wine in the green room. Hospitality. Yeah, so I'll tell you what, I'm just going to introduce, but this... This is uh, Amanda Hickson, and she basically, I'm going to show a quick video of the sort of job that she uh, she's done up until very recently. Um, she's an RAF pilot, Tornado GR4, did three tours in Iraq, 45 missions. So she didn't just turn up and have a little fly around. She really got involved heavily, I would say. Uh, she... Uh, is the or she was the squadron combat survival and rescue officer um, instructing on escape and evasion tactics to her teams uh, she was the only female air crew in the tornado gr4 at the time and the second one ever i believe we can ask her more about that um, and now as a civilian she's just released a, a book which we'll talk about as well um, brilliant title uh is uh, an officer but not a gentleman and um the uh yeah, so she's a keynote speaker uh, for the business and education sectors. And she's also a volunteer reserve for the air cadets, I believe, as well. So we'll have a little look at that. But I want to just show you this little picture, this little this little video here. Let's have a little look. This is Tornado GR4.
It's a beautiful thing. And I want to ask as well, um, you get the slanted wings. I mean, look, 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 now look at the uh, navigator's right hand. (laughs) That's the seat that uh, John Nicholl used to sit in. It was. I said we're slowly moving our way up the aircraft. That's it. This week we're talking to the front front seat. uh, seat Yeah. Driver. Yeah. Driver. Got me. Driver, isn't it, And look, so wings slanted back, I assume for expert speed, but I'm assuming not so much agility at that point, but I want to check that. And that basically is what we've got. We could play that forever, but uh, I'm I'm not going to uh, because I want to speak to my, uh, I want to speak to our guest here. Um, that's if I can get my cursor there. And I have. Right. So I'm going to introduce our guest who I'm really excited about, Mandy Hickson. Welcome. Thank Hi. you for coming. How absolutely Hi. amazing to see you. Hi, Mandy. <laughs> Great to see you both. <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. Well, it was just brilliant because your name came up because I heard about this brilliant book and um, I've ordered it. And then I got in touch with you and you said, oh, Harry, I'll send you a book. And I went, no, so I've just, it was really nice to say, no, I've already ordered it. So it was genuine, genuine interest I was showing, not not just to get you on on our uh, podcast. So it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Yeah. How are you? How are you? You're I'm really good, actually. Yeah, we had a day on the beach yesterday, so I'm feeling all a bit suntanned. Would that be um, Bournemouth? Oh, yeah, I just thought, you know what I love? Crowds. And lots of feces. Yeah, and a few old sanitary towels. I thought, oh, oh, do you see the door open then? Yeah. The, the door open behind? Hey! You can't hold one up. Mine hasn't arrived. Sorry. <laughs> You've got to get out. Literally, no. literally just arrived that second. Rowan, oh, thank you, Rowan. You just I opened the door and it. skimmed it across the floor. <laughs> You've them well, Harry, haven't you? I think that's, I hope a cup of tea will arrive, but it just doesn't have that same... Oh. Like no. Father's Day, the first time, they're 21 now, twins, born a girl, and um, yeah. and uh, 20, um, Father's Day was amazing, 48 cans of uh, Brewdog, a special deal, Thank and you. I said, finally, the investment has paid off, it's so, paying off well, but, <laughs> yeah. so you went, to, you went to the beach, and because I went yeah. to the beach recently in opposite Salcombe, and it takes oh. so long to get through the windy roads, it said like 16 miles 40 minutes <laughs> on the sat nav, and that's what thins people out, I think. Was that Mill Bay? Did you go across to Mill Bay then, Harry? No. Well, oh. No. Well, no. Because that's it's on Mil- the other side, isn't it? In Salt. Yeah, Mill Bay dot. Oh, yeah. I see. I see. No, no. I was going to um I was going to drive to Salcombe and then bring the, the ferry across, uh, yeah. which is good. I mean it's absolutely idyllic there. It's oh, it it's is lovely. We go every year oh, actually. Cool. My favourite spots in the year in the world. We don't yeah. have any around here. You do. Oh, sorry, Vince, sorry, Dave. Yeah, we don't have any pictures around here, so I'm not jealous at all. Some Ray Ray Heskins saying GR4 that beats Blues and Twos. Okay, but I will say I've had some uh, Navy helicopter pilots in my car, and uh, as we were going to an RTC at. Um, uh, about 140 mile now up the motorway and one of them said I keep looking for the police but then I realise I'm in one <laughs> <laughs> they all 
basically everyone wants the blue light, don't they? they but anyway, Manny, we diverse again. It's good to have an hour. Harry's just said that uh, he, his fastest speed is 140. What's, what's yours? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, about Mac 1.2. Which, in <laughs> old man's terms, is what? Oh, well, because you... Yeah, it, I know it's to do with... Mac number, it actually doesn't have a thing, but it's probably about 700. Well, if, if it's just like a standard setting, about 760 is Mac 1 when you're sort of pretty remote, uh, close to the ground. But... So it might be about 800-ish. I could be talking rubbish there. Not sure. But, um, yeah, it's pretty fast. And let me just say to uh, to Mark, who said about the swept wing aircraft, my wings at that point were definitely swept. So, yeah, as yeah. Basically you have them forwards at 25, and then as you go faster, they go to 45, and then eventually they go into that dart shape, you know, like yeah. a paper. And that's 67 sweep, uh, wing sweep. And that's when you're going really fast. Basically, oh, I see. Do computers work that out, or do you have to work that out? I mean, do the computers? You would have thought oh. it would be automatic, wouldn't you? But it's actually a manual thing. You, you. I mean, when you first start, you know, however, however many times you've done it, you first start and you think it, you know, and it's one of the checks as well. And you're coming back in, and the instructor in the back would go, <clears throat> "Wings, sweet. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, yes. <laughs> you know, um, because you always forget, you know, to stick them in. So yeah. Um, yeah. And if you haven't got the wings back, it must be like driving with the handbrake on a little bit. <laughs> well, it, you don't really notice it, actually. But, you, oh, look, that's when you're hanging around. That was me flying air cadets. Yeah, so, um, oh. yeah. And it's a lovely day because, of course, it's Armed Forces Day today. Yeah. Um, yesterday was Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's start from the beginning um, because there's something really intriguing about this. And I've got a couple of photographs, nothing uh, embarrassing, nothing I could dig up um, from the dark web. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's been some parties, um, <laughs> and, the, and, and, and the military are very known to be sedate and in bed by like ten. Much like the police, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, we used to be used to have fun in the police. We're not allowed to anymore. We've got to no. be all responsible. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the first things I noticed, which was really uh, familiar, is that because people look at you, aspiring. Um, people who want to think, oh, I'll stand no chance, you know, as a pilot. And that's men as well as women. Mm -hmm. And yet you then, you did a bit of flying initially, did you, before yeah. you applied and then you failed the flying yeah. test. The test, was it? Yeah. What was no, that about? A bit of background. So basically, um, yeah. joined the air training corps when I was 13. I did so on my mother's recommendation and it was not initially because I wanted to fly. It was because I went to an all girls school and she said to me, oh, but there'll be boys there. And I thought, well, that's a really good opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> really, genuinely, why I joined. And I joined the day they opened the air training corps up to girls. So up to that point, it had been only boys. So she's yeah. reading in the, in the Manchester Evening News that the, the air training corps is opening its doors to girls. And that's why I joined, to meet some boys. Um, but I flew when I was there, and yeah. I flew. It was in a chipmunk, which is now in a museum, which makes me feel really old. Um, oh, we're all there. Don't worry, we're all there. Yeah, yeah. so I flew in this chipmunk. Oh, I thought, I literally, I just loved it. And I describe yeah. it, and when I fly with the cadets, um, I actually finally stopped doing it last year because I just couldn't balance everything up. Yeah. i it for about um, seven years after leaving the Air Force. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I describe them as dancing in the air. Because it really is, especially when you go around the clouds and stuff like that. Oh, and, you know, so it's really it can ignite a, a real spark. Mm. And what the one thing is is that 
you know, my mum always used to say to me, well, if it's going to be someone, why shouldn't it be you? And I think, you know what, my dad ran his carpet business, my mum was a home economics teacher, you know, mm. it wasn't like okay yeah. military background. Um, I mean, my grandfather was a Second World War fighter pilot. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so it was, you know, obviously I'd grown up hearing his stories, but so got into it, loved it, got a scholarship when I was um, 17 at Blackpool Airport. Yay. So if you yeah. get there's a massive tower, um, which is handy, you know, you're like, oh, God, where am I? Oh, look, there's the tower. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I did that. And um, basically, you could pay the extra 10 hours of you, for yourself. And I saved up enough money on my paper round to yeah. pay myself to get my private pilot's license. So wow. I got my license on exactly 40 Amazing. hours. That was, that was a long paper round and not said yeah. in the rude term. <laughs> That it would normally be said, I have to say, but in order to earn so much money. I've been doing it for some time, yeah. It was about a £1,000, I'd say, but that is a lot of newspapers. And they were yeah, the ones. Do you remember when you got the three newspapers delivered? You yeah. had to hand out hundreds of these bloody things just to get some money back. Yeah, Goodness, so that was that. Mark Twist has just asked, mm -hmm. what is the, um, what's the biggest G that you Ooh. pulled? So, yeah, Mark, I mean, basically, the tornado is not a big G monster. So, um, basically, because you will normally have all the bombs, weapons, uh, fuel tanks hanging from it, you don't yeah. pull a lot of G in the tornado. But I was put on a trial to test out the G suit for when Eurofighter was coming online. Uh, they wanted yeah. to test it out on a woman. And I was based down in near Salisbury at Boscombe Down at the time. So they said, could I do this trial? So I was like, yeah, sure. So I was in this G-suit and we got a Hawk aircraft, so the same aircraft that the Red Arrows fly in. And I'm in the back seat of this Hawk and he said, I'm just going to put some sustained G-force on, Mandy. And I was like, yeah, no worries at all. 9G. Just move your head around, see how's the G suit I go, I can't move. Oh, oh my god. And you know what the funniest thing was? We did this sustained 9G, which nearly killed me. Your body at that point becomes the same weight as a Formula One car. That is how heavy you are. And wow. when I took off, I was in the bath that evening. And I noticed I had these really strange marks. And basically all down my my arms and my legs, where the um, material would be stitched together, I had burst by blood vessels, basically. No. Like a rag doll. <laughs> I'd been stitched up. Literally seams, or every seam from the G-suit. They, they must have just had been playing with you, surely. Because 9G, I don't think, it doesn't go much more than that, does it? No, you, Nine you can't. times your body weight. Yeah. And it? the thing with that as well is... Um, it only, I mean, the Hawk normally is 7G, but um, this aircraft had a special dispensation to go higher so that they could test out this G-suit. It honestly it nearly killed me. It was exhausting. Right. Well, I think it probably would have killed the average person, wouldn't it? It must have been incredibly... Yeah. ...and known how to stabilise yourself. I mean, I think I would have been dead. I, I, think, I, I think I pulled about 1.4G in my X5. But you see, this, this is it, isn't it? We, we, I was, it was very two-dimensional. My driving, yeah, I enjoyed the driving, especially cross-country, and especially if there was a couple of you going to a job, and it's... We used to do blue light runs, and it would be an hour long a lot of the time across country, yeah. and it was great, great fun. It was, and um, but it, it's two dimensional, and I've got, I've had that because um, Manny, my my dad was uh, born in a different generation that he should have been, so he's born in 1909. And he was a Spitfire pilot, uh, air reconnaissance, and just, and he was a, a test pilot 
before and after the war and uh, just I, I look at the clouds and I think I should be up there but then I, I went in a, lucky enough to go in a Spitfire uh, a couple of years ago oh, I, wrote that in your book. Yeah. <laughs> I know I mean I had to mention it um uh, Chris was just being absolutely brilliant a good friend of mine and Chris Beer and I I was I did feel a bit airsick and I'm like no I want to savor every moment and, I saw from Mandy somewhere. I think it was. Um, I, I'm guessing it's in the book, but mine didn't arrive. Um, uh, I think it was in one of the theorizations. Yeah, that book, yeah. If you just hold it up against the screen, we can all read it. Yeah. Um, where you said that there was nothing better than taking off in a dreary from yeah from a dreary um, British uh, uh, airfield and then punting for the sky and then punting through the clouds into beautiful oh, sky. I mean. It really, David, is unbelievable. And and that is one of my favourite days, especially if you're flying with um, cadets and there's some clouds around, but it's say like a really a really dark, dull day below and you find a gap because you can't go through clouds with cadets. But obviously we can, normally we have an yeah. instrument. But you find a gap and you ping up and it's this brilliant blue sky and you can wow. see it's going, it's not like you enter another realm, you yeah. know, it really is. And I the first time I, I've got three daughters, the first time I told them on a dreary day that actually up there is beautiful sunshine, they were like, really? Yeah. How can it be? <clears throat> wow. What so, so you, yeah, so you did this test, you did a test yeah. for the flight and you failed it, didn't you, or something? Yeah. What, what, what were the details? How did you get around that? So, um, well, it was probably like, whenever I read in your book, actually, Harry, that you failed to get into the uh, police the first time that you applied. And I'd done what? That one, that one. Um, so Sorry. I um, I'd done everything I could. I joined university and I wanted to keep my license going because I got this private pilot's license and I was so excited. But women weren't allowed to be pilots in the Air Force still. So, you know, it's still a brick wall. You can't just yeah. change a policy. You are a young person. And um, so basically it was in the second year at uni and they changed the rules. And I was like, oh my God, the timing's perfect. So I applied to join, I went to RF Cranwell, like yours, it was three days of interviews, you know, aptitude tests, which are all done on the computer. They're about four hours long. And they're testing everything from your mental agility to your situational awareness, your memory skills, uh, mental arithmetic. Anyway, at the end of the three days, I found out I failed them all to be a pilot and I was devastated, I mean, truly devastated. I bet you would have been utterly <laughs> devastated. I had a lot of flying under my belt by then as well. So I thought this is really weird. So you can take them twice though in your life, that's it. And after you've done them twice, you can't take them again because oh there's, a, there's a level of learning. So yeah. there's actually, we've got to limit it to twice. So I took them again the second time a, a year later and I failed them all again. And mm. that was at the end of the line. You cannot, I, I wasn't allowed to go any further. And that's why, you know, and I talk about it in my book a lot actually because I joined this club, the University Air Squadron. I'm flying along at Birmingham, and I was, you know, at the top of my game. I, I was put forward for aerobatics competitions. I'd beaten all these sponsored male pilots, and yet I couldn't pass these tests. And they said, my boss said, I think the tests are flawed. And he basically went the extra limb for me. And I, I always say, you know what? We need to have people that believe in you. And yeah. Outside of maybe your immediate sphere, but for him, it was this he just felt that there was something wrong with the system and they'd only just opened the doors to women. And so he got two external examiners, they flew with me, they all graded me as above average. Um, wow. and so I'm there thinking, <coughs> it doesn't stick. So 
Oh, well, I joined in the end. They they offered me a, a commission uh, as an yeah. air traffic controller. And I thought, okay. I didn't want to do it. No. But in my mind, I'm thinking, foot in the door. Absolutely, Dave. Yeah. Foot in the door. Once I'm in, and they always say about the military, you, you join the military um, for wanting to be a an officer primarily to serve the RAF and serve the country and then your trade that you do i.e flying pilot you know an engineer is secondary to that and so in the back of my account I'm thinking right you're in the door now you can make your case and I did I just wrote all these letters I had quite a lot of influence with regards to these reports that had been written and eventually I think I just wore them down I think they got so sick of getting determination yeah, and I basically got this letter back and I was just I was on officer training at the time. So this horrible feeling of I've signed up for this career, but my goodness, I might not end up being a pilot. And that was a really constant. But, you, but then you could have said, you could have gone away all bitter and twisted. Like we have so many people in the in in any trade, but in the police, I've seen them where they've applied for a department and then they fail and they go off and say, oh, the system's rigged and whatever. Yeah. And they get bitter and twisted and they disappear. And that's what I've always said myself, and it's really familiar, is just give it another go and then find another way around it, through it, over it. And if you're keen enough and you go, and I love the fact that other people get bitter and twisted because they make it so much easier for you. They, they, they open the path for you. Um, yeah. and, and it's interesting because my, uh, my dad wanted to, he joined the Navy as a cadet and then he was in the Navy and he used to see the biplanes flying off the decks. So that's what I want to do. And he applied when he was old enough to, to fly in the Navy and he failed the medical, something to do with his ears, balance or whatever. <clears throat> and so he left the Navy. He learned to join, uh, learned to fly privately. Um, and then he joined the RAF as a, and was flying Spitfires. So, oh, you see, that's a lovely story, isn't it? Yeah, just got around it somehow. Huh? Just yeah. determined. Just give and it I a go. It is that feeling, and, and I see it now. So I speak at a lot of schools. Um, when I left the Air Force, I, yeah. I thought, you know what, I can be a really strong role model for young people. And I say people, yeah. people say oh, for young girls, but actually, it is for people. It's yeah. not just for girls. It's boys as well. And actually, it is that feeling of. You know, we. I think in this younger generation, it's a feeling of giving up a bit too soon. You know, that yeah. it's built in that resilience yet, and you know, actually, we will fail at many things. Yeah, it's up to you what you do. I love that with your book as well, Harry. When I was reading it this morning, and mm. it was, you know, it was like you could have just gone, oh, do you know what? Yeah. Oh, right. Well, what do I need to do? I need to do is become a special constable, and and I think that is it. It's like working out a way forward you know um and i've had that the whole of my life really yeah yeah and people often ask well how do i get into the police because it's um and i say get your foot in the door i say so if you know yeah. even if you're a call taker so they can see what sort of person you are you will find it so much easier to join the police otherwise than just being a civilian they've never even heard of Absolutely. so it's just so a really important message and i've seen your video your website actually mandy yeah. Um, where you've got some videos and things. You're a very, very proficient um, uh, key, key speaker. Um, so I, I can see that. I'd be really, it'd be quite fascinating to just one of those. Um, for Andy, your... Andy, did you ever meet um, Kirsty Murphy in your career? Because my... Yes! Daughter, oh, daughter, oh. Daughter, uh, so, Kirsty this... at an air display, and then, of course, they looked into her life, and they were like, oh, my God! Yeah. Um, oh, so it's a really lovely little story, actually. So... Um, 
I've got a great photo of myself, Joe Salter, who was the first female tornado pilot. I was the second, and then Kirsty was the third, actually. Um, there's a photo of us at a reunion in London. And um, yeah, and basically, it was fantastic. Um, we had this photo taken and we sort of popped it out to social media. And I sort of said, what's the collective noun for a group of female tornado pilots? Yeah, well, you've just um, created it. What was it? <laughs> well, it was a mistake to put that out because, you know, the world of banter. Let's just say yeah. most of them were so rude. Oh, but no. what, was, oh, what was it? It came back. Oh, we had obviously aviatrix, which is, you know, obviously there. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, there were some fantastic ones there, most not repeatable. But no, the university... <laughs> was I actually, somebody, I saw one of the questions came up and the, it said, um, have I ever flown with the Red Arrows? Yeah. And I had the opportunity, just before I left, I, I, it's called a swan song, and I contacted the Reds and I, I knew quite a few people on the Reds and I said, guys, I don't suppose I can come and have a trip with you. I had had one previously in my career with them. And yeah. they said, yeah, yeah, of course you can. So I, I, I basically went up to um, Scampton and yeah. Kirsty had just joined the Reds, and it was really oh. lovely. And so oh. I found the formation, and they were doing this thing called the rollback. They were learning. It's quite a hard manoeuvre where you roll back and you then come back into formation. Yeah. They were learning it for the first time, and I was in one of the aircraft watching Kirsty doing yeah. it for the first time. So, no, it was lovely. So I have met Kirsty many times since then. Is she oh, the wow. blonde lady? Is she She's the blonde? Like, um, uh, strawberry blonde. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, probably Bond. Yes, I've seen because I, I saw Red Arrow, female Red Arrows pilot. The only, yeah, the only female Red yeah, Arrow yeah. pilot. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And chief engineer, I think, of the Red Arrows was female as well, I think, wasn't she? Uh, yeah. One year? I think she was. Yeah. yeah, um, she, yeah. I think I'm sure. I was going through the questions because somebody asked us that. Did you ever get to fly with the Red Arrows? Yeah, I um, That's why I thought I'd answer that one. Yeah. Oh, uh, cool. Cool. Uh, amazing, amazing story that both of you've got, and as I mentioned at the start, Mandy, I've got three daughters, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna approach the the elephant in the room. It's not really an elephant in the room. We live in the 21st century now, but I used to get frustrated when they were young because all their family would buy them dollies, and I used to be like, "Well, let's buy them a Meccano set, or you know, anything, anything, but other than other than dollies." And I've always told them that you can achieve anything you want. You know, just don't look at yourself as female look at yourself as a person and you can achieve exactly the same as mm. you know over there whoever, whoever they are and there were some amazing athletes that, um, like the triathlete um christy wellington who you know went on to smash all the records set by the men and I, i've tried to use them and people like you and people like kirsty to try and inspire them and kirsty really did inspire them uh, to show them that you really can achieve anything. So, so what was it like? I mean, when did you start on your RAF? What was, was it like coming through that predominantly male-dominated um, time? And, I, I, you know, I think of the one-to-one -one you had, and I'll let you explain it, where lager came up. Well, when I first joined the Air Force, um, I was going through officer training, which is what one of the, I was in the, um, one of the newspapers this week and they picked up on that. And it, I'll be brutally honest, I was sort of a little bit miffed because they chose a sexist angle. And do you know what? For the majority of my time in the Air Force, actually, I have worked just with some brilliant people and I haven't found sexism to be a massive, massive issue. But I also think that maybe that is because I have got a very, very thick skin and you have to. And I'm sure that many people would say that as well, same as the police force, you know, banter used to be harsh and it yeah. used to be really, really brutal. Um, but when I first joined, I was going through officer training and and this is what was in the book, it's in it's in the prologue. And basically, I mean, it was just absolutely priceless. I got called into my flight commander's office and he said to me, 
um, yeah, it's been brought to our attention that you're not very feminine. And I was thinking, I was in full nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare scene. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you like me to be more feminine? I'm crawling through mud. I've got a gun. You know, we're out in the field training to be soldiers. And, and I want to train to be a fast jet pilot that's potentially going to go to war and maybe have to, you know, drop weapons. Where, where would you like me to be more feminine? And he just said, <laughs> well, it has been noted that. And I said, I even drink half pints in the we weren't allowed. I mean, this is it. An officer training, you were not allowed to, as a woman to drink pints of beer at the time. And so on my flight, you know, you'd go and there's 10 of us, I'd get nine pints. And I thought, well, you know what? There's no way I'm not going to get one for myself. I'd get two halves to make a statement. So and two halves, you know. Oh, that my goodness. Brilliant. And that, that, actually, that, that story reminds me a little bit of, um, there was a post on social media, Harry might remember it, better than me not that long ago and it was someone having a go I think at a female police officer saying oh how unfeminine she looked and how uh, how masculine she looked and and her reply and I can't remember exactly what it was but it was I'm pretty sure if I'm holding the hand of your dying relative you wouldn't care how I was dressed oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely and I mean and, I mean that's that for me was an, not it was an isolated story I mean mm. When you go through training, then you end up very much like police, you know, with your core group. Mm. And these are like brothers in arms. They were like my best friends, my family. And the relationship I had with them was really, really strong. And so I wasn't really aware of sexism because you're going through the system with this little band of brothers. Yeah. And we got to Aria Valley. And that was the first time when I'd started I'd just to notice it a little bit. Um, but there were just, it was just, it was just banter. And basically, it was one of the guys on the course, it was a guy called Tristan. And he said, Tristan, this guy, Rob, or Puppy, he was called Puppy because he was so young. And um, the young pup. And he said, We're not happy with how all the instructors make a comment to you every day. So if you've got 20 instructors and every single one of them just makes yeah. one comment, and they're really mild ones like, well, yeah. we can't tell which jet Mandy's flown in. Obviously, it's not part straight, you know. Or yeah. <laughs> you'd snap Dave, it. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing, Dave? I'm not, Dave. Not, I'm not, it's not, not funny. funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Sorry, carry on, Mandy. About, oh, you're putting your lippy on when you're getting out. Or, you know, a lot about your periods. Obviously, you know, yeah. they have to mention that. So there was all that. And only one of them, would, you know, one comment from each of them every day. But that's 20. Yeah, 20. And the guys didn't like it. And it was the guys that said, Mandy, you have to meet us to speak to the boss. And I went, no, because actually that highlights me as having complained and I'm not complaining. And they said, no, 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 we know you're not, but we don't like it on your behalf. Yeah. And that's because they followed you around and heard the 20 comments, wasn't yeah. it? And it and was also, because, Mandy, also because they will know that you are just as capable, if not yeah. more capable than they Otherwise they'd be <laughs> chatting behind your back. My wife used to work for Flyby as the cabin crew. Um, yeah. In fact, I was just teasing her recently. Pretty much all the last five jobs she's done have gone bust since she's been working for them. So oh, just God. any potential employers out there. Just, just be careful. Just yeah, don't move on. This is move on. Well, you know, unless you want to run it into the ground. But she, she said they used to have quite a few female pilots. And, and it, it's a thing that I, I knew in the police as well. I just want to come to. But... Um, when you do, when you fly from A to B to C to D so often, because they would literally fly from Exeter to Manchester to London, back to Exeter, Channel Islands, um, to uh, Greece, 
you know, and back. I mean, that would be sort of one day. And so the pilot was saying, uh, you know, good uh, good afternoon, everyone. Today we'll be flying uh, the weather in Greece is so 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 so. And of course, it wasn't Greece they were going to. And because she was a female pilot, everyone goes, oh, oh yeah. She, she said, all oh, the and and you get Becky a bit vexed about this, like because if that was a guy, it would just just been a funny little mistake. Oh, you know, da da da. But because it was a female in an what was and not so much now, but a you know predominantly male thing. Well, it's still and, and yeah. I think, and it, it is still, and I know speaking to firearms officers, um, on armed response, we do the same fitness, the same training. And I have been failed by my very good friends because I was in there for so long, 23. And they've said, we've got to pull you out, Harry. You're, you're not up to it this time. And I'm like, you know, that was the professional relationship. They don't pass you through because they can't do that for, if you're flying a tornado or you're shooting a gun in civilian life, they can't go, ah, you'll be all right on the day. If yeah. you're not up to scratch, they'll fail you. Yeah. And I think, but she always says, she, this one particular uh, woman who's um, working there says, do you know what, when I'm with the guys, I don't even think they are thinking it, but I feel like I have to prove that I can do the job first of all, and then prove it because I'm female. Mm -hmm. Because if I fail, are they going to be saying, oh, you just had a bad day? Or are they, are they going to go, there you go. It's not, do you know what I mean? It was that extra pressure for you because yeah. of that. It must, must have been. I saw one of the questions that came up actually, did I not consider becoming a commercial pilot? And actually I did, I, I retrained when I left the Air Force, I did all my licenses to become a commercial pilot because that's called the gravy train. And also it says that you're pretty much, that's what I've done all my life, I am a pilot, I'm in that box and therefore that's what I must do. And my husband was a pilot at the time for EasyJet. Um, and I sat there and I thought, you know, I, I did it all. I got my licenses, got qualified. If you look, so um, the figures for females on the front line, uh, sorry, in the cockpit within the airlines at the moment, I know that when Carolyn McCall was the boss of EasyJet, her mission was to try to get it from 7% to 12% women on the flight deck. And she failed. She didn't manage it. Right. So we asked, when you say there are few, yeah, it's still less than 10%, it's you know. Tiny. And I think when you look at female fast jet pilots, I think we're about 1%. Yeah. So it's tiny amounts. I mean, only five women ever flew the Tornado GR4 on the front line. You know, now, do you think, do you think, because I had some uh, part of, I used to have these operational day, open days for women, and people say, oh, why are they just for women? Because we want, basically, people might think armed response, for example, or tornado pilots were big macho guys and they felt intimidated about going in. Because that's not my world. I don't like all that. Yeah. You know, big ARVs. I see them driving around in the cars, muscles, you know, with crayons and stuff like that. Dave, I'll say it before you do. And, and, and do you know what? It just wasn't that. It just wasn't that. If if you went to a dodgy job or, a, you know, a suicide or, a, you know, even whatever, you would get everyone was very compassionate they were always very thoughtful with each other they all knew that you would have a bad day they try to bring you through and it just wasn't that big macho thing and it was just to impress upon you do you think that the numbers are so low because well probably the example you had at the beginning but it they just think well i'm never going to stand a chance or i don't want to be a I don't want to be the only female in there because yeah. I can't cope with that for, for 20 years or whatever. I think it's, it is about role modelling. So, um, you know, just say take the Air Experience flight. So the Air Experience flight is um, run by volunteer reservists and they take cadets up from the Air Training Corps and combined yeah. cadet forces. Oh, they love that, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's great. But when you go in, you have a big board and it's got all the pilots on there. 
And I went into 2AEF, which was where I would fly for many, many years. And I am the only woman out of 40 pilots. And when I stopped doing it, I went, don't take my picture down because I don't want the girls to become yeah. not seeing it. Because if they don't see women doing it, they yeah. think it's a career for them. And I know that sounds mad, but there's been quite a few different um, uh, campaigns that have been run. One was by this charity, and they, they put in, I love this one, It was um, the charity was Inspiring the Future, and I've done a lot of work with them in the past. And um, they put in, uh, in into a young classroom, or sorry, a classroom full of young people, five and six-year-olds, and they basically said, I want you to draw a picture of a firefighter, a, a surgeon, and a fast jet pilot. And at the class of 60, you know, drawings, they were, I think all men they'd drawn in their pictures and named them, Bill the firefighter, as men. And these are five and six-year-olds. So well, it's all yeah. in their So when these three women went out, got changed, oh, who's that, Dave? There's Rory, our 11-year-old oh, South African Mastiff. He wanted to come and say hello. Oh, <laughs> you're going to get a lot of saliva now, slobber. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Can't be a bit of slobber. No, <laughs> but yeah, it was interesting. And they came back in in their outfits and they all the kids went, why are you dressed up like that? And they went, no, we are them. And they went, what? And one, and this is the saddest thing. Brilliant. Brilliant. The woman that was a fighter pilot, I won't mention her name, but she, actually, one of the children said to her, when you go home, are you going to have to give your outfit back to your husband? Yeah. And you think, you know, it just shows you going back to your yeah. point where you say you know about girls and playing yeah. things you know, I was a tomboy I was the one that was in Lego you know I had action men I was climbing trees and falling out of them constantly um, yeah. so you know it, I, don't, it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have an issue if, if, my, if my girls want to play with yeah. dogs but I want them to have that choice. I want them to have yeah, that, that yeah. camera that they can bash their finger with. I want them to. We did, a, we did an experiment. We did an experiment. And that's fine. But to force it on them and give us all that unconscious bias or whatever you want to call yeah. it. But, um, but we, we did an experiment with uh, Rowan and Savannah, my kids, because basically when they got from baby stage where they all look the same, uh, although Savannah was four pound ten, she was looked like a little Tesco's chicken. Oh, and then we said, <laughs> Rowan, Rowan, six pound one. See, it's impressive. Isn't it? And Ooh, put them together, you, a ten pounder. <laughs> yeah, well, put, put them together. I was eleven pound. Oh, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what. But you know, then they get to the ornament stage where they're just sitting there, not doing much. <laughs> There's nothing going on really. And they just, like wee balls, you know. Uh, yeah, and then they start playing with toys. And we genuinely, and I can't be, I've got to be honest, I don't know if we did it on day one or, you know, but it was really soon. We put a pile of toys between them. We used to call them Rowan and Savannah Island. These little mats they could play with stuff. And between them, we put lots of hard plastic blue things and cars and fluffy pink things and cuddly toys and things and dolls and things like that. And we mixed them up. And we found it was naturally selected that Rowan did go for the blue plasticky type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I know there wasn't masses of, but how much were there subconscious sort of, um, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, with it, there wasn't, for me, that sort of convinced me there was a yeah. certain thing about, you know, the natural choice for people to have. Well, I think there is that though, Harry. I, I genuinely think there is. And, you know, there's been lots of experiments that I've done and there is a selection, you know, 
that mm. will do migrate more towards the cars and things like that, you know. Um, but I tell you what, there's another one. I was watching this really interesting one, and basically they dressed a little baby. So they had these two older children of about four and five, you know, and they were playing with these babies, and they dressed them up in the wrong clothes. Oh. So they made the boy look like the girl and the girl look like the boy. And these little children kept on, kept on giving this, the, what was the boy, but dressed like a girl, all the little, uh, uh, you know, um, yeah, yeah. all the little girls' toys. And he he was not interested. And they were they, they couldn't understand it. And they were kept on forcing these toys on yeah. him. He kept, and eventually it was like, he crawled away and got the toys that he wanted. And the, yeah. and the older children were like, that's not right. So, you know what? I think there is a selection. And I do think that naturally you, you can't get away from, you know, human nature. Yeah. And that there is the nature, mm. there is the nurture. But I just think it's yeah. about opportunity. And that's, that's exactly it. It's about opportunity. About, yeah. Showing that there's some really good role models out there yeah. and that you can do it and it is open to everybody. Just and making all these things approachable, really. It is. Absolutely. Look, Time's people getting like, on. People like we, Andy, showing them that they can do it. Is, uh, that's what it's. That's what it's all about. I will just say, my girls are absolutely massive petrol heads, and Yay. yeah, and are av geeks too. My eldest daughter, her her favourite plane is the B seventeen. Oh. We're not far from Duckford, so Sally B's up there, so she absolutely loves that. So. Do you know why I'm shaking my head? Why? I nearly put my kids up for adoption because none of them. None of them like silvery expensive things with engines. They're not interested. They couldn't care less. I said, yeah. look, look, Rowan, look, look at that. I'm, I'm the one. Right. How many times have I seen a police helicopter and air ambulance? How many times have <laughs> I flown, I've flown in a police helicopter? Who's the idiot going outside to see what, you know, to see the Chinook come over? And I'm like, oh, Chinook, you can hear it a mile off. And I'm outside and my kids are like that. Couldn't care. I said to them, are you going to read my book? And they went, no. <laughs> no, mine won't. Mine won't either. Mine won't either. I don't... Look, before, time's getting on. Sorry yeah. to push in again, really. Uh, Low-level issues on the tornado, because the tornado has got special, you know, radar-y stuff that's really good for low-level and all that. What was the issue in Iraq? Because I remember all the way back there with Desert Storm and stuff like that. Um, they were getting, and John Nickel was a casualty of this, really, of the low level, and they were getting shot down or damaged severely. And didn't you eventually go high level again because of yeah, that? What yeah, was the so sort of when, issue you were able to say? Well, it was it was just it was too dangerous. I mean, as in in Gulf War One, we we took too many casualties. You know, obviously mm. when uh, the two Johns went down and yeah. uh, Rupert Clark as well. And you know what they said? Actually, let's push it up higher. And so they developed the weapons that could be dropped from higher level, and mm -hmm. um, that's where you got all these uh, paveway bombs and different weapons. So yeah. you know, once you then got GPS guided bombs, laser targeted bombs, all of those ones, you can be just as um, effective. Uh, yeah. Effective, yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, just effective, but without the risk as much. But the yeah. thing that we found though in Afghanistan, and I didn't actually fly in Afghanistan myself. Um, I was pregnant at that time. But right. what we saw was that things like show of force could be just as powerful. So you're not even going to drop anything, but they know that if our troops are on the ground, just coming over very fast and very low, and yeah. you do make, you know, one hell of a noise, don't you, in tornado? You know, once oh, you drop something, that is enough to, to them to worry that they were going to turn around and either come in and strafe. But yeah, yeah. Some low-level um, shows of force and things like that. But no, the tornado... 
technically was designed as a low-level bombing aircraft. And you, the terrain-following radar is phenomenal. You can plug it all in, take your hands off, and sit there and watch yourself flying at 250 feet without touching anything, drop a live weapon on a target, still not touching anything, and you're thinking, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> We need some funny stories. So if you think of the police helicopter, and it doesn't happen now, of course it doesn't happen now. But if someone would ring in and complain about the police helicopter over their house at three o'clock in the morning, you can imagine back in the day, of course, yeah. that if they if the helicopter crew ever found themselves in that area again, then they would do a nice turn so that they got that real chop, 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 chop of the blades as they were going over their house. Oh, yeah. Have you got any, you just talked about when you, when you smash the throttles and you get that noise. I mean, have you got any funny, have you ever buzzed the tower, for goodness sake? <laughs> no. Um, I could quote you, Top Gun, you know, infinitum. Actually, there was one story, and I did take it out of the book, actually, because I just thought, yeah, it's probably not showing us to our best light, actually. But I'm happy to tell <laughs> it now. <laughs> but um, basically, there was this um, farm in the middle of Wales, and we were going through um, RF Valley at the time, which is advanced flying training. And basically, the farmer wrote on the roof in huge letters, oh, yeah. F off, Biggles. <laughs> and basically, we had, and it became known as the F off farm. <laughs> actually, as not going there, it was marked on the map as a target. So it was targeting old McDonald's farm, basically, and do what's called a contact. So you come in really low level, pop up, roll over the top, come down, and then basically you come in as if you're going to absolutely, uh, then you drop your bombs and then you pull off at the oh end. Oh, my God. Actually, they got the, in fact, the full vector. That's a book too, then. I, yeah. I remember seeing on the, on the air shows, just, you know, you know, literally, I, I think my feet on the runway eating strawberries and champagne or whatever, and because um, I managed to blag our way into the nice bit, and and it's got, and the tornado just came. Of course, you see it before you hear it, and I am sure it went, oh, and it, you know, it it just seemed that that tight. Oh my god, it was just, fun. and then he just went and went and went and went and went, and it was yeah. almost like a little puff of air as it disappeared and was never seen, and that as they went home, and I just thought, it's wow. I mean, yeah. the tornado was fantastic, but you know, when you see the new aircraft like the F thirty five, Eurofighter, that was, right. you know, again, I mean, even Eurofighter, so it's an incredible jet. And you know, when I, I did, I went into the simulator for Eurofighter, and I just sort of took off, you know, and I was flying tornado at the time, stuck the reheat, and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, the power of that jet in comparison. Hmm. As new technology was coming on, I mean, I'd love to go and get 35 now. I mean, oh, yeah. I had a program on it though where it wasn't working, and they just went, Oh, just turn it all on, off, and then turn it. I don't want to get a I was in a Sea King with not quite so much with the when they were flying around on the on the RC rescue thing, and uh, I managed to blag a day with them as well. Funny, and um, and they said, uh, sorry, but we're going to have to go back. Um, we've got an issue with the navigation system. So it's just down. And he said, have you turned it off and on again? And, and I'm like, okay. I'm glad it was that way round. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and uh, they did and it worked. Exactly. <laughs> we carried on. We've got a question here. He's yeah, asking about the nickname. So 
when I got to the squadron, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a really cool nickname, you know, and I was thinking like maybe Ice Maiden, you know, all that sort of thing. Just like Iceman, oh, I'm dangerous. Yeah. And then basically they gave me my, my name badge and um, let's just say six foot tall, Sesame Street was on. Ah! In America. Oh. What's my call sign? Big Bird. Big, Big Bird. Um, I had it with Big Bird right across my chest. Oh. Like, oh, disappointing, you know. <laughs> we only used to particularly wear those in the bar on a Friday evening. And one yeah. occasion, I um, went to the dentist on the Monday morning, stuck my flying suit on, went into the dentist. And I'm used to having Mandy Wells, which was my name at the time, written across my name badge. And I walked in and she said, Name, please. And I went, Hello. And she went, No, we have no Big Birds booked in today. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh, I love it. I love, and, and that's what I miss in the in the police. I sort of we oh, missed. Oh, oh, she has gone. That wasn't me. Oh, man, has gone. She no, that wasn't me. Honestly, honestly, I'm I not saw, doing auto your hands. Don't worry. Saw, <laughs> Where's she yeah, gone? Here we I'm, go. She's coming I'm, back. I'm back. <laughs> here we go. She's coming back. Come on, come on, Mandy. You can do it. You can do it for the last four minutes. Faye, she's yeah. back in the room. Mandy, it she wasn't me. It looks confused. Can you Was hear us, you? Mandy? Was that you? Can you hear Hello? us, Mandy? Yeah. yeah. Hello, you can you hear us? Yeah. yeah. You're oh, all on. Oh, she's pinged off. Yeah, no. I took the, the opportunity to wind John Nickel up, and I've got to do it to you now because you've led yourself to it. You can control a 35 million pound top of the race. <laughs> yeah, well, highly, you know, the most technologically advanced fighters yet in the world, <laughs> but you can't operate a computer. I wasn't even touching it. it. wasn't me, guys. Yeah, that's what they all say. That's what they all say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened there. That was weird. That was weird. Mandy is rebooting, Linda says. Yeah, it's not. Um, Mandy, I, that was just phenomenal, isn't it, Dave? I mean, I we... I talked to Mandy all day long. Absolutely incredible. I want yeah. to hear more funny stories. Yeah. No. One really funny one. And this yeah, is so basically, um, we're doing our nuclear, biological, and chemical warfare training. We're in the we're in the uh, the gas chamber. We're all in our full MBC kit, and um, basically, we went in straight after lunch. I was in with ten new recruits. They were all eighteen and nineteen year olds. I was in there as a bit of a role model as well. And the one when you have to remove your gas mask like this, and you've already taken a deep breath, um, and you decontaminate your face, and you put it back on, you know, and then you exhale, clear out the fumes before you breathe in clean air. And we're at this stage, basically, everyone's getting nervous. And we're just about to do this. And basically, I hear, da -da 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 -da. and it's my mobile phone, it's in my chest pocket. And basically, it was the days before touchscreen. So I thought, I looked around and pretended it wasn't me. And the sergeant is looking straight at me. He goes, oh, ma'am, just turn the bloody thing off, will you? I was like, <laughs> to stop the noise. Hit the answer button. And it was a voicemail message from my husband who basically went, where's my sexy woman? <laughs> and basically, he, well, let's say he'd been to the hospital for a minor operation that men have when they decide not to populate the world further. Ah. In graphic detail with the young men, Exactly what he'd done on that day. Absolutely brilliant. We've got to end it on that. And uh, look, um, Kay Nightingale, absolutely right. Please invite Mandy back for more. Big Bird. Show us your book, quick. Show us your oh. book. 
An Office and Old Gentleman, available on Amazon. Yeah, it's got lots of stories in it, basically the highs and lows. Yeah, it's having some really good feedback, and I feel really humbled when I get them all. The reviews are massive. The reviews. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. I'm really looking forward to reading mine now. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm there. Um, and just before we go, yeah, thank you, Mandy, so much. And it, I, it just it felt like 10 minutes, that, didn't it, Dave? Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, next week, we might, I'm just confirming, confirming, but uh, we should have Nick Knowles with us. Um, so that would be an absolute beauty. Just juggling a couple of things. So it would be to actually confirm it or whatever. He's not going to be nearly as good as Mandy, unfortunately, no. but we're just going to have to put up with him. Can I say quickly, Mandy? Someone's just asked because John told us this one. Did you ever catch your navigator napping and spin the plane upside down to wake them up again? <laughs> uh, no, but I did have someone that basically may have uh, over a little bit of over excess the night before, and so I did oh. that to him. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Good. Well done. Thank you. Thank you ever so much, everybody, today. And, yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Maddie. Thank, Thank you, Mandy. Guys, absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. It always, it never ends really easily. <laughs> we still lie. Don't swear. Yeah, Don't we are. Swear. <laughs> and we are going. We are going.